This is On Your Radar, a podcast series we record at WGN Radio with the staff from Rosecrans. I'm John Williams, and the title of this podcast is How to Build Resilience and Practice Emotional Mindfulness, which sounds like the sort of thing a clinician would come up with, but it really is a down-to-earth set of tools or things to think about as we, I think, move through the pandemic and are trying to get on or stay on our feet. Uh, we should all learn tools for resilience. To help us today, Heather Fisher, Supervisor of Outpatient Services for Rosecrans McHenry. Heather, welcome to the pod. Hi, thanks for having me. Also, Carly Novoselsky is a therapist at Rosecrans River North. Carly, nice to see you. You too. Happy to be here. Uh, let's start with you, Heather. So as a supervisor of outpatient services at Rosecrans McHenry, you do what then? Uh, so I provide support to the outpatient therapists. Uh, they can come to me if they're dealing with a crisis or need support, wanting to know how to move forward, helping a client. And you're one of those therapists on the ground, right? You were actually working with the clients per se. I am, yes. And so what do you work with? Is it mental health issues? Is it addiction? I know those overlap, but do you find yourself spending more time with one set of clients? Yeah, so I specialize in addiction issues, but like you said, a huge overlap with mental health issues as well. What are people addicted to right now? Right now, I'm commonly seeing a lot of alcohol and marijuana use, sometimes differently, sometimes together. And also in the city, I'm seeing a lot of crystal meth use in the LGBTQ communities. I wonder why the LGBT community is favoring that. Um, you know, sometimes it's like a rite of passage, kind of this scene that's out there of when you're young and just in this party world, just to kind of connect and fit in when you are kind of on the outskirts of regular communities. I'm a little surprised to hear you say marijuana as an addiction issue. Yeah, with the legalization recently uh, in the past couple of years and the many dispensaries popping up, many people who just thought they would get into using it recreationally are finding that it's actually unmanageable in their lives and are struggling to stop or slow down really mm -hmm. g give me an example of uh, a client or a scenario that people find themselves caught in sure i had a client recently that had been sober from alcohol for five years and they think okay that one addiction i've got that under control i'm in recovery and start kind of using marijuana to deal with the stress of the pandemic and all the changes and to help them sleep, help them relax. And then all of a sudden, they're, you know, using in front of their children, they're sneaking out of the house at night to go, you know, find ways to use privately and causing relationship issues with their spouses and things like that. And they're like, wait a minute, I thought I already had my old substance under control. What is this new thing that I thought was going to help me relax? It's causing a lot more stress in my life. Huh. Are we just discovering about the um, real world addictive powers of marijuana then? Would you say, Heather? Um, or maybe I think you knew known. all along. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say I knew all along, but <laughs> I think there's been a lot of research um, in even like the past 10 years, there's been a lot of studies with rats and mice showing the addictive properties and the long-term effects on memory and motivation. Um, I know during the pandemic, the teen population was hit really hard with addiction because they weren't being supervised as much and they had a lot more access. So they noticed returning back to school after the pandemic, the frequency and the amount that kids were reporting that they had used increased 
Um, this is all maybe tangential, uh, however fascinating <laughs> to me, sure. uh, to our purpose here today. I mean, I wanted to talk about resilience yeah. um, because I imagine that three years into the pandemic, um, we are now back on our feet or we need to get back on our feet. It would seem as though the idea of resilience would be a way to better help people manage this new world. Um, so, Heather, why don't you start and just talk a little bit about how we can become more resilient or what you talk to your clients about. Yeah, so I think a lot of times when we're talking about resiliency, um, sometimes we're directly using that word, but other times we're describing it as a coping skill or building hope uh, because resiliency, you know, it's it's what gets you through. Um, and that can be an unhealthy coping skill or a healthy coping skill. So trying to guide people towards those healthy coping skills. And I think a lot of times people don't recognize that things that they're doing can be resilient because resiliency isn't always pretty. What do you mean by that? Like um, <laughs> my family went on a trip to Mexico recently and um, I have a four and seven year old and it was a big resort. And so my kids were very tired by the end of the day. And this one day we're walking back and my daughter's just carry me, carry me, carry me. And I'm like, no, I can't, you know, um, and she's crying and whining and, you know, I'm just going to sit down and live here in the middle of this. And I was like, no, you have to keep going. And she's like, why? I was like, well, you're being resilient. And she's like, well, what's that? And I was like, you keep going. You keep trying, you know. And so I think a lot of times people think resiliency is just the water off a duck's back. And sometimes it's being miserable, but continuing to try. Her resilience uh, that you were speaking about was yeah. a lack of resilience then. That is, she needs to exercise more resilience. Or is she being resilient in sitting on the ground saying, no, I'm just going to stop and be here? I think she was being resilient because as much as she was saying, I don't want to do this, she also knew that the alternatives weren't good, right? Sitting and staying in the middle of a resort by yourself isn't a good choice, right? But continuing to walk with your family that's a good choice. Well, then is it a matter of uh, first intellectually understanding that? I mean, I suppose a lot of times people are making bad choices and they know they're bad choices, but they don't seem to have the resilience at the moment to make the right one. I think sometimes we brush a lot of things under the rug. And so we don't we don't talk about the things that we're doing to get through or that we're having a hard time. And so we say things like, right, oh, I'm just going to have a beer or I'm just, you know, I'm going to take this one day off of work. And we don't because we're not saying because I'm having a hard time, we're not making those connections. I like your description of some people see resilience as water off a duck's back. Mm -hmm. I think that's maybe what it looks like to the outside world when mm -hmm. you see a resilient person. Nothing phases them. They're resilient. They right. just seem to go forward. But maybe <laughs> inside, it's like the analogy of the duck who's paddling as fast as they can <laughs> mm -hmm. under the water. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a muscle that needs to be exercised. It, right. It's work. Right. What are you hearing when you hear us talk about this? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I think sometimes we think resiliency is something that's really far away, but really it's inside all of us, right? We are all resilient just by getting out of bed and engaging in this world three years into a pandemic and just continuing to 
want to operate and try our best and adapt to the new world that's here with us now. But at the same time, like you said, that self-care is not always just doing the easiest thing or that instant gratification. Sometimes it's really hard work of like setting boundaries or cutting off toxic behaviors that you're doing just to get by. Maybe we should have been thinking about this before the pandemic anyway. It seems to me this is a mindset for just being a healthy, well person. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that's something our culture is trying to shift towards. Um, and it's hard because it hasn't been ingrained in our society. A lot of thought distortions, th- things like saying, well, I should do this, or that's not fair, are examples of thought distortions. And they're so ingrained in our society, but they're so bad for us. And so learning to change the way we think so mm-hmm. that we can tap into that resiliency that we do already have. Well, does it, is it possible, though, that it does come easier for some people than others? Yeah, I think it can be. Um, Carly and I were talking about um, this topic called epigenetics, which is things being passed down genetically but you know we're used to talking about like brown hair or brown eyes but trauma can be passed down through genetics we're finding um but there's also research going into can resiliency be passed down how does uh, trauma doesn't get passed down does it genetically i mean it, explain that uh I'll explain it the best I can, <laughs> that it doesn't change our DNA, but it unlocks things within our genetics that cause us to react a certain way. So like I worked with a client once and I was talking with her mom and her mom's like, I don't understand. I grew up in severe poverty with severe crime going on around me and I brought her here and this is a better place. Essentially, what's wrong? Like, what is not being met? Why is this child not flourishing yes. considering all I had to go through? Right. And I was explaining to her that all of those things that she went through as a child, right? Because especially for women, we have our ovaries when we're born, right? And so the, tr- the things that we experience affect the genetics that we're passing down. So our kids, and I even see it in oh, my kids, yeah, that it, they will react to things even though they didn't experience it, but they'll have the reaction as if they did. That is a new concept? I've never heard such a thing. I'd say it's new in the world of psychology. It's not as old as, like, you know, ye old Freud, but it's... And it's still being studied. Yeah, it's still being studied, especially the other side of it. The resiliency side of it is newer. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I mean, can resilience then be passed along too, do you think? But I would imagine that would be more of a social construct than a biological one. They're studying it on a neurological level, that there's parts of the brain that are affected by trauma. We know that someone who experienced severe neglect and abuse as a young child, their brain will be physically smaller than a person who grew up in a loving and nurturing environment. Well, I wonder what I can do to foster resilience in the people around me, my kids, myself, my spouse, whatever. Do you have any ideas along those lines? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of things that we can do. I love this conversation about like the nature versus nurture of it all because um, a lot of the clients that we see that have substance abuse issues or mental health issues, if you ask them, hey, has anybody in your family ever dealt with anything similar to this? 
the answer is mostly always yes, right? Yeah, or, that's true for child abuse too, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Right. So just going back and looking at that and just recognizing that it's not just like insular of just, just you. It's kind of thinking about the generations that came before you and the lack of knowledge and language for these things mm-hmm. in the generations before. Because people, if you had a mental health issue or were struggling, it wasn't talked about. You were kind of just exiled from the family and there's not really good representation of people understanding their family histories in this way. And now that we have the language for this, we can better understand how we can heal from it. Now that we have the language for this, <laughs> what what are you talking about here? Yeah, just with the reducing the stigma of what it's like to talk about mental health issues and to say, hey, I'm actually struggling. I'm not doing okay. I think that's become a lot more commonplace, or at least we have a lot more understanding for it and the treatment avenues for it now. Well, to me, resilience uh, used to mean, maybe it still does, buck up. Like, you know, just let's go. I was I was literally just thinking of the old phrase of like being pulled up by your bootstraps. And but who's who's pulling, right? That it's like I feel like when we're talking about that language that you it you don't have to do it by yourself and that um the idea of well just go figure it out that just leaves the person in that hole but giving you know like my daughter you know being upset and not wanting to move forward being able to say to her i know you're tired and giving her something of like look we're passing the garden we got to go around the garden giving them something to like move forward achievable. with achievable yeah yeah and letting and validating that what they're feeling right now is okay versus no you're fine Mm-hmm. I think you're we getting onto some specifics. Yes. <laughs> you're getting onto some specifics that I want us to. So I'm, I'm glad about that. Although I would imagine the teachable moment for skills and resilience isn't in that moment when someone's having a breakdown, right? I mean, maybe you could say that, but wouldn't it be better if they had those tools when they were um, safe and yeah? Yeah, I, I tell clients so often. You don't want to learn to swim when you're already drowning. That's what I'm thinking here. Yeah. And so, yes, like laying that foundation. So when your, you know, kid comes home and says somebody was mean to them, instead of saying like, you know, but you're fine. Instead saying, you know, that must have been hard. That hurt your feelings. Giving them the words and the tools to, they're not going to be able to fix that situation necessarily but acknowledging how they feel so that they understand it i guess a resilient person is better able to navigate uh, life just because they have i I don't want to say a shell around them but they have a certain um uh, hardness isn't even the right word Uh, maybe you can help me describe awareness awareness might be it but i'm thinking of the things that will trigger Uh, challenges to our resilience, uh, death of a loved one, uh, relationship problems, mm-hmm. uh, health issues. We've all been through work issues. Those have been interrelated. I mean, I guess put it this way, there have been a lot of uh, challenges to that little shell or awareness that we've been trying to build lately. Yeah. Uh, maybe some people are just now finding out how resilient they aren't, you yeah. know, because life was swell before the pandemic. I'll bet some of your clients say stuff like that. Yeah, but I think even still just getting to this point and even recognizing, hey, like, I want to get help. I need to get help because I want to get back to where I was or at least take myself to a new place. I like to say none of us were the same people that we were when 
March 2020 hit and everybody has gone through some kind of transformation, whether these traumas happened to them or they've changed in some way. Everybody's gone through a journey. It's kind of like, you know, we were a caterpillar and then we were in a cocoon this whole pandemic period. And then you get to decide what kind of butterfly are you going to be? And just kind of having that floor for transformation is really nice. And I, I don't like this debate of like, am I resilient or am I not resilient? Right. I Just by being alive in the world, you are resilient, whether you're struggling yeah. with, you know, maladaptive coping skills of using substances or whatever else you're doing. Even that's still resilient because you're still yeah. trying the best way that you can. And I, it's funny because just like grieving, um, it's not lean, linear you know, it's, to quote Doctor Who, timey-wimey, you know. Um, but even even myself, like, just this past weekend, realized that I was struggling. You know, I'm grieving. Um, my mom was diagnosed with Parkinson's dementia um, only a few months ago, and it hit her very hard. And I kept thinking it hit her and wasn't acknowledging that I was sideswiped, too, Um and I was angry and grieving. Sorry. <laughs> and I finally told my husband, like, I'm not okay. Like, I keep, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, but I'm not okay. And that made me feel better. You know, like, obviously, I'm not, like, over it. It's not something that you're just one and done. But telling him, like, hey, I'm, like, everything's not it's not water off the duck's back. It's not, oh, well, I checked this box and now we can move forward. It's it's an experience. It's something that, you know, I'll deal with for years. And those emotions are appropriate. Mm-hmm. Maybe even healthy to express them. Yeah. Just understanding that life's messy, right? And the yeah. only constant in life is change. And the more that we can kind of wrap our minds around that and get through difficult situations or get through yeah. changes, that's kind of how we flex that resiliency muscle. Uh, and that's, you said coping, because that's really mm-hmm. what, I'm, in my mind now, this definition of resilience is sort of morphing into um, the, the world's going to happen and I'm mm-hmm. going to have to deal with it. But can I, can I, I can't change all of that. But I can maybe manage this situation. So let's let's just talk about some of the coping mechanisms. Heather, you started to allude to some almost it sounded like techniques. Mm-hmm. Like somebody told me there's the three C's of of resilience. Does that make sense to you? Uh, the challenge, control, and commitment. Um, I love CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, which teaches. It, it builds the bridge between an event, right? Your alarm clock rings and you think to yourself, you know, I don't want to get up. That makes it harder to get up. That doesn't, it brings down your motivation. Your alarm clock rings and you think it's time to get up. Your motivation increases a little bit. So challenging those thoughts and being aware of them and then, you know, control, that's, I think that's something we struggle with a lot is wanting to control the uncontrollable. Um, So knowing like, what can we control? Like um, Carly talked about boundaries, you know, I can't control other people, but I can control how much I interact or how much I um, give to them. And then uh, commitment. Um, I don't know if you want to speak to commitment at all, but 
making the change, right? If you stop exercising, you don't get the benefits of exercising. Talk about commitment a little bit. Yeah, I agree with Heather completely, and I really like that. Sorry. <laughs> no, and I know you know about the five pillars as well, which we'll get to hopefully. Um, but the, but cognitive behavior therapy. <laughs> so how does that work again? So uh, if I if I think the, the 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 positive action or outcome, it will make me more likely to do something that will have a positive outcome? Like literally tell yourself that? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we all have thoughts that are flying through our brain every second of the day to all of the different events and stimuli that we're exposed to. And when we're not aware of those thoughts, like it's very easy to say to yourself, well, that's not fair. You're right. It's not fair. And so when we notice that our reaction to a situation is bigger than the situation, like I'll ask people sometimes like, so you were really upset by that. And then when you looked back on it, did you feel like that was a reasonable reaction? And they're like, no, I overreacted. I'm like, because there's something you told yourself about it. So being able to identify that, because sometimes people think talk, like talk therapy is the only kind of therapy, but there's skill-based therapies as well. Not the, that talk therapy is. <laughs> the, the, that you would internalize. That's a conversation mm-hmm. with yourself. So not to uh, bring your, your poor little daughter up there who's <laughs> uh, says, no, I'm done. I'm sitting right here. We're not yes. going any further. Um, the 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 cognitive therapy resolution to that would be what How, what 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 does a yeah. person tell themselves? So if she was telling herself, "I can't do it," I'll, we'll never get there, right? I love the infinity words: always, never, everyone, no one. Um, those are forbidden for me. Um, Very black and white. Yes, thinking. the all or nothing thinking. So I'll never get there. I'm never going to make it. It's too far. Being able to say to yourself, right? So I use the example of like, well, the garden is right there and our room is right past the garden. So it's like, so we're not going to never get there. We right. will get there if we can get past the garden. And it might be painful or you might not want to do it. But mm-hmm. that but, but, but that is also an instance too maybe where the reaction is greater than the thing that is causing the right. reaction. Right. So how, talk a little bit about how your clients kind of fall into this trap as well so if you've experienced trauma like what kind of with heather was saying about the epigenetics it changes the way that your brain functions right and so um and there's you know the big t traumas i know we're getting away from this kind of language but the big t traumas of you know my life is um divided by this event before this event and after this event for many of us that could be the pandemic as an example and there's also smaller t traumas which is just kind of like death by a thousand cuts is what i say where it's just small things that happen every day that kind of undermine or add up uh to not feeling great and when you experience trauma it impacts your brain in a way that your alarms for danger are heightened right so when a small thing happens your alarm system is just overridden and you feel like the world is ending when really it causes this reaction that doesn't match like the severity or the magnitude of what's going on and that's not very helpful in the day-to-day life so just um, cbt can be really helpful in bringing yourself down right and just calming self-soothing and calming yourself and telling yourself different ways of thinking understanding okay this is my gut reaction this is my first initial thought to the situation and then understanding that initial thought hasn't really helped me get to the 
like place that I want to go, how can I kind of rework my thinking to be more supportive of where I'm trying to go? Because our thoughts do become the things that we do achieve in life. So someone that's struggling with addiction, walk me through the thought process they would or should have relative to that. Some slight or something that's happened in their life, they go, damn it, I'm just going to start drinking again or smoking again. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard, especially people that are trying to get sober. They have fears of, I'm going to have a really boring life, or I'm never going to be able to, you know, get through a party or hang around my friends without being under the influence. And if we believe that, it's going to make it just that much harder, right? Mm -hmm. Your mind is creating another hurdle towards healing and closes us off to what the possibilities are for recovery and having a full connected life on the other side so do they need to sort of rehearse this conversation with themselves like you're going to have a positive party it's going to be fun or uh, you got a big thing at work today you don't want to do but but you're going to get through it sure i mean what you're saying is a little bit about like positive affirmations or just giving ourselves a pep talk all that can be really helpful because we so often find that we can talk to a close friend so much kinder than we can talk to ourselves <laughs> and so if you can kind of externalize so some people do look in the mirror and you talk to yourself as if you were talking to a close friend and that's really effective because we're so much nicer to our friends than we are to ourselves and i go ahead sorry and i i think kind of like i was saying how resiliency isn't always pretty the thoughts that you think i would say they don't always have to be positive but i encourage them to be realistic so you might say i'm gonna go to this party sober and that's gonna be hard and then acknowledging why is it going to be hard? Well, because I get nervous being around all of these people, you know, and finding the ways to set yourself up for success, right? So instead of being like, well, I'm not going to know anyone at this party, right? Instead of being like, well, I get nervous around all these people, so I'm going to hang out with Carly, and that will calm my nerves a little bit, and I won't feel so compelled to drink. Um, yeah, go ahead. Another hard part to wrap your mind around is that our brains are not exactly the most reliable, especially if you, again, have endured trauma. Your brain is not the best deciding factor of you might think in your mind okay i'm about to go to a party it's the first time i've been out in the world since covid's sober i'm gonna be a 10 out of 10 feeling anxiety and we can you know believe that to be true but when we get to the party we walk in the door and we can check in with ourselves and be like oh my gosh i see some familiar faces i see some non-alcoholic options on the table i'm really feeling like a five out of ten anxiety and so we can kind of start to challenge ourselves and be like my brain before i even do the thing is telling me it's gonna be horrible but actually when i start to take the actions forward and be resilient and go and do the things anyway even though i'm afraid (laughs) i find out that actually it's not as bad as my initial brain was telling me it was going to be. I was wondering the opposite scenario, though, where you think, I can manage this, I got this, and you walk in and you see all the beer and whatever, and <laughs> and now it's more of a struggle than you thought. But I also have just found myself marveling at what the two of you are saying, wondering, this works? Like, who are we kidding here? I'm talking to me. I'm the person with the problem or the stress. Telling myself I can get through this or managing it the way you are describing works i will be more able you our brains are full of these synapses that are like little tree branches and when you stop yourself and say well not everybody just this one person makes me nervous or doing this one thing makes me nervous it grows a new little branch off of that that tree and that um 
then the other branches, the branches that say, no one's going to like me, I'm not going to have fun, they actually get pruned away. Like our brain is designed to do that. You're speaking about a biochemical reaction in the brain. Mm-hmm. A physical reaction that actually will better enable me to do this. Yeah. Through the exercise of the things the two of you have been talking about. Yep. Who yeah. knew? Yeah. <laughs> they talk about it with language, that when babies are born, they have the capacity to know any language in the world, but the languages they hear, those are the ones that strengthen and grow, and the other ones get pruned back. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're literally designed to be resilient. Um, and I think you were saying, like, I have to tell myself this, but, you know, there's people like Carly and myself and the teams that we work with that can also teach you how to do it. Because how do you know something that you don't know how to do? Nobody's ever taught. <laughs> I mean, seriously. No, I wish 100%. they were teach this in school. How, yeah. how does a person learn these things? And, yeah. uh, I, you know, we alluded earlier to it seems to come more naturally to some people than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, lucky them. But I don't think anybody's generally talked to the population about resilience. Yeah. We talk about virtues and things like that. (laughs) I'm glad we are here. Um, So what are – but you alluded to the five pillars. Did I hear you say something about that? Yes, and I know uh, Heather wants to talk about that too or has more experience with the five pillars as well. But just recognizing that there are different areas of our life where we can pull from resilience. And these tools that we're going to talk about are not – we're not reinventing the wheel here, right? This isn't things that were are complicated or complex. I mean, in terms of understanding them, but implementing them is a little bit different and can be a little bit more challenging. But the five pillars are just having self-awareness, right? So understanding um, what I like to call the window of tolerance, right? So understanding um, what we can withstand and in terms of our anxiety or depression. Um, and when you first get sober, your window of tolerance is very small because we haven't experienced many things while we are sober so anything can send us off into a tizzy and having the skills to kind of talk ourselves down and self-soothe and come back to the window of tolerance because when we are activated our brain actually um, shuts down blood flow to the areas where we can process and make um, strong decisions right Mm -hmm. so we are very into that like knee-jerk reaction as opposed to thinking about how we want to actually respond to a situation that's going to actually help us move forward with where we want to go and so just understanding that's where the self-awareness piece comes in of like when we are feeling triggered or you know having a craving to use and then using the skills at that point in time and then the next pillar is mindfulness right so just having an awareness of the present moment and just acknowledging reality so i think so many of us especially dealing with addiction have issues with denial and don't want to be able to look at what's going on. And it's our brain's way of kind of understanding or breaking down a situation that's so large for us to wrap our minds around, especially just even understanding that we might have a substance abuse issue. Um, Denial comes in to kind of help be the buffer between what's going on. And then uh, self-care, which we talked a little bit about too, I think has become such a buzzword in today's society of like bubble baths and eating mm-hmm. chocolate and just doing all these nice, really fun things, which that's a piece of it, um, but not understanding that, you know, there's some really hard parts of self-care, like looking at your finances, right? Especially if you're coming in from addiction and have kind of turned a blind eye to how much you've been spending at these really expensive dispensaries, it can be painful to, you know, sit down and look at these things and look look at what relationships in your life are serving you and which might be a little bit toxic and things like that. And if you want to talk about positive relationships, I'll throw it to you. Yeah. Um, it, when I worked with kiddos, people would always talk about like good influences and bad influences and 
you know, it always kind of made me sad because there's not bad kids, right? There's not bad people, um, but there's people who make bad choices. And so I would kind of describe people as water people, match people, and fire people, you know, so like... When I was um, in high school, I was the water. I was the boring friend who was like, "Ah, eh, now let's just stay in." And I had a friend who, you know, if we were hanging out, no trouble would commence. But we also had a friend who, you know, would seek out trouble. You know, and if the fire and the match friend were hanging out without me, there was no water to put it out. You know, so it's not that. Um, so I've challenged kids before of like, and adults, right? Look at the people who are around you. If you can acknowledge like, maybe I'm a match. Maybe I'm someone who is very easily led towards something. Um, making sure you have that that supportive water person with you um, and not surrounding yourself with just fire. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah. So this is about the company you keep. You're speaking here now, right? Yeah, yeah. Surrounding yourself with people who want what's best for you. You know, making sure that the people around you, right, the people around you, like talking about sobriety, they don't necessarily have to be sober, but, you know, having people around you who support, you know, hey, I'm grabbing this drink, but I'm getting you this drink, you know, um, not someone who's going to deter you from the goals that they know are important to you um that they put they put you first a little bit you know mm-hmm. what i mean that they're not like well no you have to have fun right um they're the positive influence and then the last pillar is purpose and i think that's it is so important because when people feel lost and they feel like life is meaningless you lose hope and you know, even at Rosecrans, it's one of our our pillars is hope and um, being able to know when I get up, when that alarm clock rings and I have to let my dog out, right, that gives me purpose. And so whatever those things are for different people, um, whether it's volunteering or working or being that person's friend, you know, um, finding those things in your life so that it's driving you forward. I think... Um in this conversation, most of the things we've been talking about, I'm referencing addiction issues, alcohol or marijuana. Would these all be equally applicable if I'm just suffering from high anxiety, if uh, it's more of a mental health issue than an addiction issue? Absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I think definitely. Um, and we've really come to understand that substance issues typically stem from a mental health issue right we're coping with anxiety depression or trauma things like that and so right the things that cause the anxious thoughts it could definitely be organic it could be genetic you know having a panic attack and not knowing why but you can also be having a panic attack because of those thoughts um and so, yeah, you can definitely, these CBT, there's another one called DBT, um, dialectical behavior therapy, which um, is kind of where the mindfulness, um, mindfulness plays a big part in DBT because it's um, staying in the present, um, a lot of acceptance and things like that. Yeah. And would you also say that um, uh, the, the baseline 
for anxiety or uh, pressures uh, for people who have addictive personalities. It's it's greater now than it used to be. That there's a sort of a, a baseline anxiety or tension out there. Maybe this was more of an issue in the previous three years, but um, it would just put it this way: it would seem to me like the need for managing our resilience is greater now um, than maybe it was before. Yeah. yeah. And even just again, like the, having the language for what anxiety is, what depression mm-hmm. is, I think before, even just a few generations ago, people didn't have an understanding of what they were experiencing and didn't know how to talk about it with other people and express that they were struggling or know what they were struggling with. Even with like the you know explosion of tiktok and like these social media apps i mean of course you have to definitely (laughs) check your sources of where these things are coming from but there's people just talking about anxiety and depression and mental health issues more regularly it's not as stigmatized as it once was Uh, but i uh, want but i want to soapbox for a second and say everyone feels anxiousness everyone feels sadness not everyone experiences anxiety and not everyone experiences you know clinical depression and so not like you said going on tiktok or things like that and self-diagnosing but definitely if you're seeing symptoms if you're seeing things that are interfering with we call your daily life you know being able to get up in the morning and go to work and talk to yourself nicely um if those things are diminishing asking for help and and finding out because just saying well i have anxiety but then anxiety is a series of symptoms. Mm-hmm. So finding out where are those symptoms coming from and how can you address them. Okay, so then lastly, just give me some ideas about how to start my day or live my life um, <laughs> going forward. If I want to be a more resilient person, I'm going to connect with people. I'm going to have supportive people around me. I'm going to um, not just have positive thoughts, but sort of have a better awareness of the situation I'm in and what an appropriate reaction is. I'm just making this up as I go. You're doing great. <laughs> well, but what else would you add to this? I, I have this um, little trick I use kind of when I'm talking to families or people who are in therapy about your five domains of functioning um, that you know, how are you treating yourself? Are you treating yourself with kindness? Um, how are you getting along with family? How are you getting along with friends, work or school? You know, are you avoiding? Are you failing out? Are you, you know, losing your job? And how are you functioning within the community? You know, are you being arrested or having community type issues? And that therapy can kind of come in and be the cast to any or all of those areas. Um, So I think checking in with yourself and seeing like we all need breaks sometimes, you know, and it's okay to skip a party that can be setting a boundary. But if you're avoiding interacting with people and, you know, kind of shying away, asking for help, looking for ways Got any other ideas for me? Yeah, I have. Well, that was great. Thank you, Heather. I have this image that I really like. And I think so often we think that like anxiety and depression are bad or we've like made them evil where it's like 
you know, it's it's normal to have these things um, and just understanding that like eradicating anxiety is not necessarily the goal, just as like being happy all the time is not necessarily the goal of just like, can we just be content? Can we just recognize that some anxiety is actually helpful, right? It, does, it shows us when there's something at stake that we care about or that there's something going on that our, you know, our mind and body is preparing for. It's not all bad. And I think kind of the same thing with trauma or things that have happened to us in our life, understanding that we're not going to therapy to like write these things off and pretend that they never happened it's understanding that these things are a part of us and we are going to continue to grow around them right so i have this image and um it's of a metal ball in a jar and what we think you know resiliency is is that the ball in the jar is the events or the traumas that happen to us get smaller and smaller and smaller as time goes on but really what happens is that the ball stays the same size and that we as the jar or the container of this ball grow around it and we get larger and grow bigger from it and gain more wisdom and experience and that piece of us still stays the same size don't shrink the problem just better enable yourself to contain it yeah yeah Adding more to your life versus trying, right? You can't undo the things that have already happened. So what can you add to your life to make life more enjoyable and to to have more support? Like I said, I think the beginning of this conversation, uh, better that we had this before a pandemic or before we struggled. It just seems like these are really good tools to manage our lives, make us healthier, happier, more productive people. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's not too late. Never. Yeah. I think, you know, we can have those conversations with our friends and family. Like, I know for a long time there were these posts going around of check in with your strong friends because mm-hmm. they might be struggling. But so many people don't know what that looks like, you know, that it's not just a, okay, well, I asked this person if they're okay, you know, but actually maybe making a conscious effort to interact with them more and, yeah. yeah. That's um, Heather Fisher, uh, Supervisor of Outpatient Services for Rosecrans McHenry. And also Carly Novoselsky has been joining us, the therapist at Rosecrans River North. Any last thoughts from you ladies before we wrap up this edition? No, I think this was a great conversation. You <laughs> seem like you've learned a lot. You were able to give us back the skills to us. So I hope that <laughs> yeah. other people listening to this can understand how to build I'm, resilience too. I'm ready to offer therapy now. <laughs> I am not, and I'm glad that the two of you are. Thank you for visiting with us today. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. Thank you. This is On Your Radar podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, Northern and Central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Click on rosecrans.org or call 866-330-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans, life's waiting.